Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good night. No matter where you are in the world, I'd like to welcome you back to another episode of Whose World Is This? with me, your host, Junior Renee Bobrun. Thank you guys for tuning in to this ongoing conversation. If you're a new listener, welcome. If you are a returning listener, <clears throat> I'd like to welcome you back. Like I've said before on several occasions, on several previous episodes, I really appreciate you lending me your ears. You could be listening to anyone. You could be doing anything. But the mere fact that you've taken a moment out of your days, your evenings, your nights, your mornings to listen to me is greatly appreciated. And I thank you once again. I am grateful, truly. Uh, first and foremost, if you guys are listening to this show on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, uh, definitely rate the show. Take a moment, pause the show right now and rate it. The rating helps the rating of the show. So whether you give it a, a, a one star or five star, five star means you're absolutely in love with the show. I prefer you give me a five star, but that's only if you, you know, think it's a five star rated show. In any case, giving it that kind of activity raises the profile of the show on the Apple podcast platform. So when people are looking for shows like this one that speak about society, that speak about philosophy, that speak about culture and, and politics, a little economics, things of that nature. Um, they will, my show will be, or this show will be uh, uh, placed. It will show, it will be displayed. So please take a moment. It'll only take less than 30 seconds to find the show, give it the star rating and you can just say great show exclamation point, whatever informative or entertaining or whatever, Whatever the case may be, it only takes a moment, but it makes a big difference. That's one. And if you're listening on Spotify, definitely, uh, you know, uh, follow the show. Or if you're on Audible or Google Podcasts or whatever, if they have a rating system, definitely rate the show. Uh, if you want to email me directly, suggestions, questions, concerns, comments, kudos, congratulatory statements, whatever the case may be, criticisms, doesn't matter. Whose world is this to one at gmail.com. That's whose world is this to one, the number two and the number one at gmail.com. You can email me or you can follow us on Instagram at whose world is this two zero two one. Whose world is this 2021 on Instagram? That's great. If you would like to donate to this show, uh, cash app is dollar sign J U N B E A U. Venmo is J-U-N-B-E-A-U. So it's dollar sign Junbo on Cash App and Venmo. It's J-U-N-B-E-A-U. Um, I'm also doing a Haiti relief fund. So for uh, Haitian people that have been uh, just pretty much uh, negatively impacted from the earthquake that occurred in August. So if you want to send a donation and you want to write it, write it in the little note section when you transfer any funds <clears throat> and you want to say this is for Haiti this is for earthquake relief or this is for the show let's say you send a hundred dollars and you say 50 for the show 50 for Haiti or you say 90 for the show or 90 for Haiti 10 for the show whatever the case may be if you want to divvy it up or if you want to leave it up to my discretion that's fine as well but I'm definitely um I'm taking donations uh for Haiti relief on top of that Go check out onelavi.com. That's O-N-E-L-A-V-I 
Health.com for your nutritional needs. In the age right now where we are speaking about immune systems and our health, it's important that we supplement with vitamins and minerals because much of our food, our highly processed food in, in the United States, is not nutrient dense. So it's important that we fortify with supplements. I go to onelavi.com. I suggest that you take a look for yourself. See what you think. Definitely check Chavez House Publishing on Amazon. Go to amazon.com. Type in Chavez House Publishing. That's C-H-A-V-E-S House Publishing. You go and you'll see a plethora of our books, the journals, Journals for fitness, journals for dance, journals for mind expansion, gratitude journals, love letters to yourself journals, manifesting journals, uh, notebooks. Uh, We have a a special notebook that has the Haitian flag on it that that notebook, uh, the proceeds from that particular notebook are going directly to Haiti Relief as well. But we have notebooks that have Paris, the Eiffel Tower on the cover, the American flag on the cover, Statue of Liberty. I mean, a ton of books. Go to Chavez House Publishing. And pick something out for yourself or a loved one, guaranteed, male, female, young, old, doesn't matter your demographic or your generation, you're going to like it. You're going to find something for someone, either for yourself or someone that you know. Trust me, we're almost hitting stocking stuffer season, so definitely pick something like this up. Think it would make a great gift. Check it out. Amazon.com, go to Chavez House Publishing on Amazon, or go to ChavezHouse.com and go directly on our website. Either way, it's going to take you to Amazon, so you might as well just go to Amazon and go to Chavez, Chavez House Publishing. Check it out. Think you'd like it. Okay, that's enough house cleaning. Where are we today? Hmm. Still in the month of October. That's where we are. Interesting month so far, huh? What do you think? Lots going on in the world. Uh, I don't, you know, uh, I don't uh, bog this particular conversation down with a lot of geopolitical rhetoric, but I'm my degree is in international studies and government and politics. I've been a political animal long before college. I've always found it intriguing beyond entertaining or interesting, intriguing to me. I've always been intrigued about the world and um, a lot of things going on, but um, we're going to stay focused. The last two episodes, we've been talking about money, money being the root. Is money the root of all evil, et cetera, et cetera. Last episode, Lord, that episode went on for one hour and a half. When I pressed stop and I looked and I saw one hour and an hour and an hour and 25 minutes, I was like, geez, Lord of mercy, June, did you really speak for an hour and 25 minutes straight? Yes, I did. And um, is it because I was passionate about the subject or I had a lot of information about the subject? Yes, yes. What did I speak about last time? Last time I went on an hour and 25 minute rant about everything. I think I went from this economic theory to that to how I would. It it was a lot and a lot of good stuff from what I remember because I haven't listened to it over again. I don't listen to my episodes over again, by the way. I don't listen to my own voice. I personally can't listen to me speak. You know, I can speak, but, you know, yeah. In any case, I'd like to expand on a couple of things that I spoke about because I've already received emails and texts from people that said, June, wow, you kind of took a stance 
right? Because usually this show or this conversation, I oftentimes may speak about a particular perspective that I may not even agree with, but I just feel as if it's, 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 it's to make an informed decision about a particular subject that we need to have a, a weighted discussion that weighs different countering arguments and weigh them. It doesn't necessarily have to be weighted equally, but it deserves to be heard. So oftentimes, the voice that I'm using is not necessarily my voice. So when you're listening to this show, I can speak passionately about a point of view that I may not agree with, but I'm advocating for it because I feel that it's necessary to make an informed decision. That to me is the purest definition of being an intellectual or at least striving for, to be an intellectual or intellect in general, to be able to suspend your own biases, your own truth and advocate for another truth because you feel it's necessary to come up with the highest truth. So I've done that on multiple occasions and people that know me know that they go, June, I know you don't really believe that, but I, I appreciate the fact that I know that's not your belief system, but you advocated for it as if you were you advocated as effectively for something that you may not agree with advocated for it just as effectively as someone who does invest and does subscribe to those notions. So many times people may think I believe this or believe. No, 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 no. I am introducing maybe an argument, a counter, something that I feel is necessary that maybe is not being weighted in the conversation. A conversation is leaning too heavily on one particular side or perspective. And to come up with an informed decision, you're going to need a little bit more than the information that you've been given or the, or the predominant information, so to speak. But last episode, a couple of people texted me laughing going, June, I, that was a stance. And yeah, I said it explicitly that I am, although I'm an entrepreneur and I am a businessman, I am pro-labor. I am very much pro-labor. And we were speaking about money. And we were speaking about if money is the root of all evil. And, and my um, assertion is that it is not. That is me speaking. Saying not after we weighed a lot of things. Um, this is part three of this ongoing conversation. You are welcome. If you haven't heard part one or two, you're definitely welcome to listen to this because we're going to delve into a couple of things deeper than we did in the previous episode. There's some things that I spoke on or touched on towards the end of that one hour and 25 minutes that I'm kind of going to delve in a little deeper this time. But um, so but if you want to go back and listen to those first two episodes, please feel free. Uh, but, um, what's interesting is that it led to some fruitful conversations and I appreciated them. Those conversations, those people know who they are. Thank you. I appreciate you reaching out. And we were able to have a couple of solid 20 minute conversations. As a matter of fact, one of the people that I had a conversation with, I'm hoping to get this individual to do an actual interview on this show. They've lived a compelling life up until this point. They have a compelling perspective on the world. Um, I enjoy speaking to this person. This person enjoys speaking to me. You know, I said to them, when do you want to come on the show and let's have a conversation as opposed to everyone hearing the sound of my voice 
every episode, you know? They're considering it. You know, they've never been on a microphone before, but I think they would do great, and I'm, I'm imploring them right now if they're listening. <clears throat> yeah, you're, definitely uh, before the end of the year, you're doing interviews. I'm going to be doing a lot more interviews on this show because of the people that I've met and I've run into in my life have been so interesting, very intriguing individuals. Their story deserves to be heard. This, the title of this show, I want this show to live up to its title. I want this conversation to live up to the title. Whose world is this? So many different people coming from so many different perspectives. I want the people in my life and their story to be heard, period. This is not some sort of forced inclusion kind of show. There's a lot of ham-handed inclusionary tactics that are being used, you know, you know, and it's cringeworthy for me personally. Oh, yeah, we're being inclusive. We're being inclusive and we're being diversified. And I hear these terms and it makes me sort of want to vomit just a little bit in my mouth. Just a little, just a little spittle. It's like, oh, God, can you stop using that word? You diminish an actual experience. You diminish it. Me, I have friends literally from all over the world. My WhatsApp is popping. Netherlands, Cambodia, Takeo Province, Quebec, uh, Colombia, DR, Haiti. It's just everyone. I I don't know whose accent is going to show up. I'm not forcing any inclusion. When I hit the ground of whatever city, country, hemisphere, country, code, longitude, latitude that I'm at, I make a friend. I meet, uh, there's a meeting of the minds. I don't, so, you know, this show is about those meetings. When I was in, like, I had this show with Pac-Man, season one. It was, uh, Pac-Man is, I'm in Hawaii, and I'm hanging out with a Pakistani rapper. Okay. You know, we had the show with Gene Laguerre, who's a, a Haitian-American bodybuilder out of Queens, New York. Okay. Then you have Lenore Batista, who's a, a Dominican-American out of Brooklyn, who's traveled, who's lived in Anguilla, who's done dance workshops and has danced on Broadway. Then you have me, Haitian-American, mixed background, Afro-Caribbean New Yorker, who's lived in Italy and this place and that place and camp. Okay. So this is not some sort of forced inclusion conversation we're having here. The people that I know come from everywhere, from here and every place else. And that's what this is about. So the people that I want on this show are going to be a reflection of what I project, of what I see out in in my world. And hopefully you guys will find it entertaining, illuminating, you know, provocative, intriguing, fascinating, whatever. You know, hope you like it, period. Okay, so today, what are we going to talk about? We're going to talk again about money for the last, not for the last time, but this part of the conversation, we're going to probably bring it to some sort of close. I'm hoping, you know, we're going to speak about money again. It's not the root because what did we do last time? We spoke about time, how money was not the root of all evil. Again, money is a metric, an accurate metric as to who you are, whether you have or have not. Are you the kind of individual that's going to move the goalpost on your principles, your ethics, your morality, depending on how much money you have or don't have? Does scarcity or abundance change you? No, it makes you more of who you already are. It's an accurate measurement. 
in my humble opinion, I've said it like I said before as a brief review. I said that to my brother when I was in my teens. I said I judged the people around me on two occasions when their ribs are touching and their bellies are full. And I said uh, one th I had to give myself credit for people not truly knowing the difference whether I was up 10,000 or down 10,000, up 50,000, down. You didn't know. You wouldn't be able to know by my attitude, how I carried myself, how I spoke to you, my energy levels, and how I acted in the things that I did. Did I spend a little more when I had a little more? Oh, you better believe it. But did I, did I reach, did, did I allow my ambitions to go outside of, my, of the metric of my, my morality? No. There were certain things I wouldn't do for money. And it was just that simple. Now, the reason why I bring that up is because of the American employee. And a lot of the people that I know that have been feeling helpless, that have been feeling as if they have no fight, that have been feeling as if they've been, they're being forced and coerced to do certain things for their job. Namely and specifically, the jab we all know what's going on in the united states right now right we have jobs we have a federal uh, we have an executive order by our president joseph r biden that says if your company has over 100 employees then they are mandating the vaccine right and if you do not get vaccinated then you must have a a a, a medical exemption that's accepted by your employer or a religious exemption that's accepted by your employer and obviously not everybody's going to be religiously exempt or medically exempt. So that means the majority of the people will be out of work. And the many of the people who don't want to take it have taken it just because they don't want to lose their job and they don't have the leverage in the marketplace that they think. And then there are many, many people who don't want to take it. They've said, no, I'm not taking it. You have massive sick outs and walkouts in certain jobs. You have a healthcare system in upstate New York and Utica that's going through a, a bit of a conundrum right now because they've lost several medical professionals due to firings because those individuals have abstained from taking, you know, the jab. So the question is not whether to or not to jab. It's whether you are, whether you are um, on board with this mandate. Remember John Anderson, Deputy, former Deputy Prime Minister of Australia said, you cannot have good policy without a good debate. That's a great statement. That is a true statesman. It's the difference between a politician and a statesman. Politician says what you want to hear. Statesman says what you need to hear. You may not like it. Big difference. It's the difference between an artist and an entertainer. Entertainer does what you want them to do. An artist does what they want to do. And then you just have to resolve and figure out if you like it or not. But they're doing what comes from their heart. Their heart comes, their art comes from their heart, period. They're not doing what you want them to do. They're doing what they feel compelled to do. Artist, entertainer, politician, statesman. Got it? Okay, moving on. So when I speak about money, it's very interesting because I was speaking to a friend of mine and we, we got into a conversation about money and money not being the root and people who have more money, you know, are happier. Money doesn't buy happiness, but it definitely buys you options. You know, that's the statement, which is true. It definitely buys you options. But then there comes a point. There, there's a point where money becomes more, it becomes inconsequential. 
It's about your leverage in the marketplace. This is what we spoke about before. Your leverage. Here's a little statistic for you that I wanted to bring up. And I was speaking to a friend of mine about this because he was wondering, well, why don't people just quit their jobs? Why don't people just do that in a third? I said, listen to what I mentioned last episode. I said that we've only had a, about a, adjusted for the cost of inflation. The American wage has probably only gone up 17% from the 70s, give or take. But yet productivity is up 77%. All of that productivity went to corporations, went to business. So your labor, you gave it to a company. You didn't get equity in return. You didn't get a profit share or a profit split in return. And you didn't get higher wages in return. You have a $7.25 minimum wage. Riddle me where you can live on that in the United States of America. Riddle me that you're not going to get your head chopped off or... Uh, there, there's a, uh, there's a supermarket within 38 miles of this particular place. Really now? Okay. Pretty much you're not going to be able to live on that. So the living wage adjusted for inflation should be somewhere between 18 and $25 an hour. Okay. That's where we are. But listen to this stat. And this is something that I, that I read about years ago, but it came up again in the conversation. Listen to this. As of 2021, this is our reality. 60% of Americans cannot pay for a $1,000 emergency expense. Okay? 60% of Americans cannot pay for a $1,000 emergency expense. That's the reality. This isn't June with his politics, wherever he is on the map spectrum, making up things. That's where we are. Your wages didn't go up, but what went up was your ability to borrow. At one point in time in this country, the only person who can get the magical credit card were either corporate executives who had business credit cards or wealthy travelers that were using American Express and Discover cards and things like that. Got it? All of a sudden, people were fooled into believing they could still purchase because now, all of a sudden, the credit card became a consumer item as opposed to a wealthy luxury item. A credit card was considered a luxury item, but fooled everyone. Everyone out there is fooled into thinking you can still, oh yeah, financing. Yeah, you can finance this washing machine for the next 30 years of your life. Finance this refrigerator, finance your furniture, uh, get the credit card. What's in your wallet? Now, all of a sudden, you have commercials for credit cards. Yeah, cash back on your credit card. Yeah, 28% interest rates on credit cards. Whoa. So here you are. You don't have any more money. But you know what you have a lot more now? Guess what? Debt. Here we are in America. Trillion dollar student loan debt. Trillion dollar credit card debt. Trillion dollar mortgage debt and trillion dollar car loan debt. The four horsemen galloping every day in your dreams. On your phone, they call you. Hey, listen, hi, am I speaking with such and such? Can you confirm your date of birth, please? We're calling about a debt. Click. Hey, how many of you out there have heard that? I know I've heard it a couple of times. I love talking to creditors, by the way, because I'm good at negotiating with them. Like, nope, you can't get it. You know, I start speaking like in Vogue song, never going to get it, never going to get it. No, you're not getting my money. 
No, I don't have it. And if I do have it, you have to wait in line and we'll have another conversation. I've been there. Don't be afraid of your creditors, but that's another conversation. Or maybe later on in this conversation. This is where we are in America. So last episode, when I was speaking to everyone out there that you may be in a watershed moment in this country where you have an opportunity to exercise a certain amount of leverage in the marketplace. Because that's what this is. Money is a means of a metric to measure who and what you are. And it's a currency exchange. And it's also leverage. Your labor and your time is leverage. Right now, companies are scrambling to compete and find people to work for them. People are saying, um... Yeah, I was staying at home and yes, it was a little frightening with this whole hashtag stay at home thing. And there's some sort of invisible virus allegedly that's killing everybody. But yeah, this was almost better than my job. Can you imagine? People would rather be home due to some sort of mandated quarantine than to be out at these underpaying, underappreciating, overworked jobs. Who would have thunk it? That's where we are. So right now, I know convention. La, yes, uh, last episode, I went against conventional wisdom. I started speaking about reducing the full time work day from eight hours to six hours and counting the commute a as pay. Like the time it takes you to get ready for work and get to work. You should be getting paid for that because that's work. One of my friends thought I was crazy. He was like, June, that's never going to happen. I was like, really? Never? Really now? How do you figure? I said, do you know what the worker in this country had to go through to get the work day to go from 16 to 12, 12 to eight hour days? Corporate America, industrialists, the bankers went insane. They said you are going to collapse our system if we go to an eight hour day. A lot of the unionized labor and a lot of the people that were fighting for worker dignity and worker rights and employee rights, they wanted a five hour day, a six hour day. There were conversations in the 18 early 19th century in this country speaking about the quality of life and work life balance. There was actually this conversation. How does one get to spend time with their family if they're just wage slaving? Whoa. This was an actual conversation. This wasn't a conversation that the democratic socialists and communists were having. This was the Puritans who helped build this country, the farmers, workers, people who had their own land was saying no. And I said last conversation that the average work day, the full time work day should be no more than six hours, including transportation. It takes me 30 minutes to become aesthetically pleasing and to, to have a, a non-offensive fragrance and to prepare myself for work than to get to work. It's 30 minutes to get prepared for work. It's 30 minutes to commute to work on average. That's an hour. You should be getting paid for that hour. And then after that, you work five hours on the job. Right there, you are using a quarter of your day for work. For work that you are only getting an hourly wage for, you are not getting any equity. If your employer wants you to work over that six hours, 
and they want you to work a seventh hour, you should be receiving time and a half for that seventh hour. If they want you to work an eighth hour, you should be getting paid double time for that eighth hour. If they want you to work another hour, cap it at triple time. Time and a half for the first hour over the sixth, double time for the second hour, triple time for the third hour. And if they start wanting you to work a little extra than that, you just cop, you cap it at the triple time hour, triple your rate. Okay. And if you notice that this is becoming a trend, if the, if your employer says, Hey, listen, this month, you know, we're doing inventory and this is the season when we have to do the books and we have to do this and I'm going to need you here. Guess what? Now we're talking equity. Like, oh, you need me here for the next 30 days. You need me here uh, uh, eight, nine, 10 hours. Well, guess what? Um, we're going to have to start talking about, uh, you know, it's going to have to be a little bit more than triple time at that point. And then you work out equity splits for that month or that quarter that you have to come in all of those extra hours. These are the conversations that employees are supposed to be having with their employers. We have allowed unionized labor to have the lowest membership in about 100 years. Only 10 percent of American laborers are, are, are unionized employees. So you don't have anyone advocating for you, anyone negotiating for you. OK, no one advocating or negotiating for you right now or arbitrating for you right now. You go into your job. It's at will, at work, right to work state. Your employer is going to laugh at you right now if you say this, but not if you say this in mass is what we spoke about. Think about what I said. 60% of Americans cannot afford an emergency $1,000 expense. That will turn their whole lives upside down. You have no choice but to go out there and leverage for your hourly wage because you are getting your behinds financially kicked right now. You're getting kicked in your behinds. You're getting downtrodden and beaten up. So hence the reason why these people that are in my DMs and emailing me and texting me and on the phone with me, nervous, saying, June, I don't, I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do. I, I don't know. I, I, I'm going to have to take it. I don't want to put this thing in my body. I, you, know, you know, but now they're telling me do this or else. I, I don't know. Yeah. Why? 60% of the 60% of Americans can't afford this. That's why every time you look at your YouTube and your Instagram, everybody's telling you that you need six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve streams of income just to be okay. And if you're not doing that, then you're not hustling and you're not smart. Why should you be spending all of this time trying to commodify every single last thing that you do? Soon they're going to be telling you, do you breathe? How many breaths do you take a day? You know you can get five cents a breath, right? This is, this is what it's coming down to. If you can't somehow have an employable skill or commodify yourself, then you're not valuable. I'm not saying don't get better at certain things and, 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 and increase your employability in the marketplace. But what I'm saying is it's more than just getting a certification. It's more than just getting licensed. It's more than just getting a degree. Are you getting the most bang for your buck for your time as a three-dimensional carbon entity, a human being? with your mind and your body, with your imagination, with your intuition, with your compassion, with your intelligence, with all that you are bringing to the table, with all of that stardust that is inside of you, are you getting what you are worth? No, not even close. So before they automate you 
or outsource you. You better get what's coming to you now. Time is a running out. And it's the one it's one of the very few things on this earth you cannot get refunded back. You cannot get your time back. Understood? So that's why the way I'm speaking now, I'm speaking from a perspective of a new union laborer. If I were running a union hypothetically right now and I were trying to educate the American worker as to what we need to be looking to pressure our politicians to do for us in the next electoral cycle, in the next election cycle and phase, this is the new conversation. This is the new conversation for the millennium, for the for the next for 2010s and beyond the 2020s and beyond in the 2030s and beyond. This is the new language. Where we're reducing the work day and increasing the pay. So we need to boost it all the way up to that 18 to 22 an hour. But the work day complete with getting to work and getting ready for work, getting to work is going to be six hours altogether, altogether, including getting prepared for work, getting to work and working. So you're probably going to be working five hours at the job because however much time it takes you to commute there is being factored in to your wage. You are getting paid for that time that you're brushing your teeth. Yep, you're getting paid for that time you are ironing your shirt to get to work. You're getting paid for that commute, whether you're on a train, a bus, or both, or a car. There are certain people I know. Listen to me now. I know people, because remember, I lived in New York. I know people that have taken, driven their car to a train and took a train to the bus just to get to work. Okay? took their car to the train station, train station to another bus and took a little shuttle bus to get to their job. That's their commute, just to get to work, exhausted. Hmm? Then you give give how many hours to the job, eight hours or whatever, then you got to do that whole thing, that whole trek back. You're giving them one-third of your day, one-third of your m- week, one-third of your month. Then you, you're working five days a week, remember? So you're only getting these little two days off. So one-third of your life is being dedicated to something you don't have any equity to. And then when you retire... You're only getting 40% of what you worked your whole life for when you gave them one third of your life. So guess what? So it's interesting how that 40% works, right? The 40-40-40 plan, you work 40 hours a week for 40 years just to get 40%. And when you look at these numbers, only 40% of Americans can afford a $1,000 emergency. Whoa. Hello. The 40-40-40-40 club. You don't want to be in this club. You don't want to be in this club. You want to get as much as you possibly can and get out. While the rest of the world, I was living in Europe for half a year and the two, three stores closing for two, three hours so men can go home to be with their girlfriends, wives or or do their hobbies. And 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 women can go home and be with their families. And and, and all of a sudden there's a quality of life. If we're really serious about work life balance, if we're really serious about being as well-rounded a human being as we can before our time on this planet expires and we move on to whatever other reality awaits us, if we're serious about that, then we have to give serious conversation to the length of time we're spending working for others and the amount of time and what our time is worth when we do these things. This is a serious conversation. Whether you agree with my hourly breakdown or not, that's fine. Whether you agree with the logistics, and that's fine. But if we're serious about this, if we're serious about this, 
we have to give serious uh, a thought to this conventional wisdom that goes on now. Because I know some of the things I'm saying may sound absurd, but 50, 60, 70, 70 plus years ago, what I was saying sounded absurd. Sounded absurd. 100 years ago, when Mother Jones, when all these people were taken to the streets in the United States, we had some of the bloodiest labor disputes in the first world between labor and ownership. It got bloody. It got bad. We spoke about this on September is like. We spoke about this on my Labor Day episode. I, I can't remember the name of the episode, but it was the, um, the, uh, uh, the Labor Day episode. We spoke about how Labor Day came to be a federal holiday. People had to bleed. The worker had to bleed. The worker paid the ultimate price for everyone here to act scared today. I, I apologize for my, my admonishing tone, but people died. People were murdered. It wasn't an accident. People were killed. Your government called the National Guard and called police. Your industrialists and your businessmen called hired henchmen to kill the American worker that was just looking to be treated like a whole human being, not just when they got home from work but even at work, wanted to be treated like a whole person. They didn't want to be diminished for eight hours. It's interesting, though. A country such as ours, the United States, everyone is you know, beating on their chest, America the Great, we're number one, we're number one, and the bombs bursting in the air, rockets, red glare. We get real tough until we open that door to our employer's building, don't we? <laughs> hmm? There's a lot of tough talk. Oh, yeah, we're number one. Oh, oh, forget this country and forget that other country and yeah, whatever. They don't know what they're doing. Oh, they they're they're sleeping on cots and dirt roads and blah, blah, blah. And this one and that one. And they have they don't have democracy. Seems like every employee leaves democracy right at the front door of wherever they're going into work. And as soon as they go in there, it seems that they're under some sort of authoritarian dictatorial regime. Then all of a sudden it's North Korea. When you walk into your job, huh? It's interesting. Interesting to me. All of that, all of that Air Force One bombs bursting freedom, July 4th, hot dogs, hamburgers. We're number one. Freedom of speech, right? Freedom of speech, right to convene the Constitution, amendments, etc., etc. Declarations of independence. How come that doesn't translate down when it's time for you to talk to your boss and go, hey, listen, I don't like what's going on here. I kind of want to do it like this. And that was me. That was me. It's 17 years old, naive, full of youth, vigor, arrogance, naivete, confidence, walking into an employer's office, 18 years old, going, hey, um, yeah, about such and such. And I haven't lost that because it's a childlike curiosity. It's a childlike naivete. It's the child that sees all the possibilities of the world that they live in. When you keep your inner child, that inner child that you foster and keep and you don't beat down, that child that thinks about absurd things, about going to the moon and doing all types of things, that inner child is the one that's going to compel you to do things that you never thought possible. It's not the adult. Adults are filled with limitations. Children get limitations set on them. Don't do that. Don't do this. Don't do that. Why not? Don't do this. But that childlike curiosity and vigor is what's going to help you through this. You got to connect with that person. You got to say, well, why can't I have it like that? Oh, because that's just not the way it's done. Well, why not? It should be done that way. 
and and the people around you are just you know shrugging their shoulders and shifting in their chairs uncomfortably this conversation that i'm having right now with you has made many an economics professor uncomfortable a lot of phds i had running scared when I gave them evidence of cooperative economics and equity shares and splits and how the workday should be cut and how after 2, 3 p.m. there have been studies that have shown that the American worker is not productive, that productivity just, just, just goes down significantly after 1, 2 p.m. in the afternoon, so we might as well cut it anyway. And how we've created this school day to, commit, to um, pretty much program and indoctrinate children to be workers. So that's why you have this 8 to 3, 8 to 4, 7.30 to 8, 3.30 kind of schedule. It's just to indoctrinate them into the 40-hour work week. You don't need to have school to be that long. A school day shouldn't be that long. Shouldn't be. And if it's going to be that long, then you have to have art. You have to have physical fitness. You have to have um, um, philosophy and debates and things of that nature. It can't just be just pounding some book and some standardized test into the young minds of these people and crushing their imagination. Crushing their imagination. No, that's not what it's supposed to be. But to indoctrinate everyone and to, to acculturate you and indoctrinate you, get you accustomed to this eight-hour workday. You got the kid in school for like 10 hours. He's in school from 7.30, then to 3.30, then the after-school program until 4 or 5.30 in the afternoon to get them accustomed to being part of this cog, to being a cog in this machine, to be a spoke on this wheel. No, 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 no. Are you ready to have another kind of conversation about money? That's what this is about. Are you? Let me give you an example. CEO of a company, I can't remember the name of the company. His name is Daniel Price, right? Take the, what, the name of the company I think is Gravity Payments. A couple of years back, I don't know if you heard of him. Maybe you've heard of this. A couple of years back, Dan Price, I think he's from Idaho or Iowa. I'm not entirely sure. I know he's from the Midwest. He decided that he was going to pay his employees a minimum of $70,000 a year. $70,000 a year. People thought he was crazy. People thought it was a gimmick. People thought he was trying to be one of these activist CEOs, as they call them now. You know, trying to uh, assuage his guilt for being part of the 1%, etc., etc. That's what they were saying about him. You know, Fox News, a lot of other networks were calling him a socialist or this, that, and the third. And it's not going to work. It's going to be a failed experiment. And a lot of people were wondering, wait, did he come up with that $70,000 a year number as a minimum? Why that? Why go so far beyond the living or the minimum wage of what people are considering to be $20 an hour? Why not just give them that? Why 70? And his reason was because he was hearkening to a study that was made, uh, a, a study that was uh, written by Daniel Kenneman and Angus Deaton from Princeton University. And they had a very interesting study. And I remember hearing about this and reading excerpts of it but I was knee deep in so many other things and studies and et cetera, et cetera. I, I know that was probably around, it was about 10 plus years ago and I was probably at St. John's. I don't know if I was just starting my sophomore year. Or, I don't remember, but in any case, I know I was knee deep in school, other things going on, but, um, and, and it was interesting because there was an excerpt from this study and I started reading other informations 
just trying to see if this 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 their assertion held weight and there there was some consist there was a lot of consistency with other studies that were made on this subject from people around the world <clears throat> from other first world nations but it said um i'm paraphrasing a little bit but it was speaking about how income and education and and health and loneliness and smoking and and and, and daily emotional situations um really take a toll on people that are making under $75,000 a year. That's when you feel the hit of so many things. Everything is an emergency. I think I can't remember if it was a sociologist or an economist that said that poverty is just one big emergency. Every day is an emergency when you're poor. So all of a sudden, right around $75,000, Whatever happens at $75,000, everything under that, everything is exacerbated. You have an issue with your, 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 your spouse or your significant other, it's exacerbated due to scarcity. You have a sickness exacerbated due to scarcity. Remember what we spoke about, 60% of Americans cannot afford an expense of $1,000, an emergency expense, right? So things are just exacerbated somewhere under $75,000, but right around that number, it doesn't buy happiness, but that low income, all of those things that happen with your low income, they drive down your emotional well-being, which in turn drives down your physical well-being, and it just exacerbates so many other issues that just seem to be multiplied over and over again due to being low income and right around that $75,000 mark. If you can make that for two, three, four years straight, a, a lot of those issues, they, they're no longer exacerbated, no longer exists at the same level. The amount of your emotional trauma, physical trauma, and the way that bills get piled on, all of a sudden the car note hit, then the credit card payment hit, then the light bill hit. Everything hits at the same time and there's not much you can do with it when you're scrambling at poverty wages, at subsistence wages, or below subsistence wages. But somewhere around $75,000 a year, it changes. And so Dan Price knew about this study, discussed it with a colleague, the colleague, you know, put him onto this study and he decided to, 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 to pretty much make that his standard wage and give himself that same salary as well, even though he was making a ton of money. <clears throat> so here's the thing. A lot of people thought that this business was going to fail, that his businesses were going to fail. We're going to fail. That's it. It's a gimmick. It's this. All the major talking heads that are bought and paid for by the same corporations that want to pay everyone a single digit hourly wage. So, of course, they're going to be against this. You're on television for a reason. You're on commercial television for a reason. Do you think that you are that um, the corporations that are being, that have become extremely wealthy, that have made hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars, that have become nine, ten figure companies, you think they're going to be okay with this? They're not going to be okay with this. It's their job to admonish it, ridicule it, summarily dismiss it as a gimmick, as some sort of socialistic redistribution redistributory wealth initiative no and it wasn't that wasn't any of that 
dude is a stone cold capitalist. He was just like, you know what? I think I can attract more talent and retain more talent if I do this. And guess what happened? He's more successful now than before he started this initiative. Was it great advertising? Was it just great marketing? No, of course not, because eventually, you know, the rubber is going to meet the road. And if one plus one is an equaling two, and if you cannot afford to pay these people that money, then, you know, your experiment would have come to an end. No, he's doubled down. He's created more companies. And that's been the model. Whoa, Dan Price, look him up. Remember, it's only unconventional wisdom until it becomes conventional. Okay. It's only unconventional until it becomes convention. It's only abnormal and absurd until it becomes normality. When you, get, you become accustomed to using these terms and these conversations and you having these conversations in public, if you find a different way to do things, guess what? You can make that an alternative. You can make it a norm. You can make it effigable. It, become, it can become something that is actually substantial and real and effective okay so this is why we're having these conversations because money 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 here we are 2021 i mean i remember watching star trek as a kid and back to the future i didn't know the the movies lied to me man i don't know about you but i thought we were going to be way more advanced than this where are we? We're talking about either our jab or our jobs. We're, we're, still, we're still overly, overly concerned. Our, our cerebral, our mental states are still predominated by our food, clothing, and shelter dynamic. So what's really the difference between us now and us 10, 20, 30, 40,000 years ago? We are still overly concerned with our food, clothing, and shelter. It's still predominant. We haven't found a way to automate that, to go, oh, yep, that's taken care of. Now let's, let's move on to higher things. Is that by design? Some would say, oh, the powers that be want us to be distracted by scarcity, creating a scarcity matrix where we are just, you know, you know, creating an antagonistic relationships between employers, having workers fight each other for the wage. So then you can a worker that's indigenous to a land can say oh, these foreigners are taking my job. That's what Karl Marx said. If you read the Communist Manifesto by nature, you know, you know certain systems are created that workers fight against other workers or oh, they're just getting that job because they're a different color than me they're just getting they're taking my job they're coming from another country and they're and they're um getting paid lower than i'm getting paid and they're they're driving down my wage and outsourcing Karl marx said that about almost 200 years ago just saying just saying you know you know the communist manifesto is not the satanic bible just saying you might want to read about other economic forms of thought that may have described what you're going through 200 years before you've been going through it. Just saying. Mm. May, re may want to read political economy outside of what your high school textbooks taught you. And the, in the trumpeteers of one side, pardon the pun, are telling you. Just saying. That's just me. I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, like I said, my political ideology, the funny thing with me is people on the right dislike me, people on the left dislike me as well. I, my, my politics is, is way too nuanced to be partisanal. 
So if anyone was trying to gauge me, you'd, it would be very difficult because of where I am on specific topics specifically. Then you go, whoa, that sounds very left when you speak this way. But then on another topic, that sounds like something I agree with, with those who are considered in the contemporary context of on the right. And then a lot of the things I believe are just taken out of political context outside of the United States dynamic altogether. And it may go back to Mesopotamia. It may go back to something totally different that we may need to reintroduce to this contemporary conversation. So never mind where I am on the political spectrum. Never mind that. Let's talk about what's good for the American worker today. And the American worker right now, debt is a matter of national security. Debt. You guys are going hungry the way things are going. You can't afford a thousand dollar expense, emergency expense. <clears throat> It'll send everything you got going on right now into a tailspin. 60% of Americans. Go check it out. So what is money the root of then? Is it the root of all evil? No. Is it the root of all leverage? No. Is it a metric of how you will act? Is it a metric for scarcity and abundance and how you view yourself in the marketplace? Yeah, that's what it is. How you view yourself. When you walk into the office for a raise, do you, do you really want to get 50% more on the dollar that you're getting? And then you go in and, bef and, you, and you rehearse it in the mirror like Eminem did in 8 Mile. And you're rehearsing. Yeah, in the moment you own it, you own it. I want to have 50% more. And then you, as soon as you walk into your employer's office, the person who has the power of the pen, instead of asking for that 50% more, you ask for that 8% more. And then you leave there with your tail between your legs. Why? Why'd you do that? Why'd you do that? That has to do with how you view yourself. It has nothing to do with money. It has to do with your confidence. It has to do with what you've been told about the marketplace. It has to do with misinformation. You've been misinformed about you and who you are in the marketplace. That's what it is. You have to take a good, long, stone, cold look in the mirror. I said it in the last episode. All of you out there who may have gotten jabbed and you were okay with getting it because it was your decision. You looked at the data and you made a decision and said, you know what? I'm going to get this jab. You, 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 um, based on the information you've been given, based on the information that you've been given or you were exposed to, you made that decision, but yet you may be adamantly opposed to mandates you need to take to the streets as well with the people out there that are saying you know what based on the information i've been given i came up to a, 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 a an opposite conclusion an opposite conclusion i've said no i'm not doing that even when told that i can lose my livelihood my job if i do not comply it's do or get fired do this or else. And I decided or else. The workers need to make a decision. If you are home right now, and I've said this before, if you are in the medical field, you might want to consider traveling nursing. Are you a nurse? If you're a nurse, consider being a traveling nurse. 
because still many, many jurisdictions in this country, you don't you don't have to get jabbed if you are a traveling nurse. If you wanted to be a nurse without borders and work for certain organizations, you are probably most likely going to be compelled to to get jabbed. But traveling nurses, from what I'm hearing, you're not. You don't have to. Um, there are many organizations. Um, if you're a teacher, yeah, it's time to knock on doors. It's time to know every single person in your apartment building. Hmm? And tell them, hey, listen, I'm out of work, whatever, whatever. I'm a te- do, you, do you know anyone who wants to homeschool? I am a teacher, etc., etc., etc. It's time for you to start uh, and, and I'm not even compelling you to go digital, to go on Facebook or Instagram or whatever. I'm saying knock on your neighbor's door. Abandon the technology for now, for this moment. I want you to knock on doors. I want you to, the people that you bump into at the supermarket, come up with a business card that has your email address, your information on it, your Zoom ID or whatever you're going to use, your Cash App, PayPal, whatever, and say, hey, listen, I'm a tutor now. I'm I'm independent. I'm an independent educator. They can't take away your bachelor's. They can't take away your master's in education or master's in special education, master's in counseling and psychology. They can't do it. It's time for everyone out there to stop thinking so hyper-individualistically and start maybe, maybe getting together with you like-minded individuals and create a cabal of individuals that are saying, yeah, no. Yeah, no. We're not doing that. We're going to do this. Start helping each other. I would compel a lot of the nurses and the teachers and those that are out of work to start GoFundMe pages and say, hey, listen, I was teaching your children for years. I gave up. You know how much I had to give up? I have to be at school before the kids and I have to leave after the kids, even though I have children of my own. And after giving my blood, my sweat, my tears, taking out exorbitant loans to get this education that I still haven't paid off. And the the state, the country that I live in still hasn't seen fit to maybe forgive my loans because I am a public servant. I am I can either make or break the dreams of your child. I see your child more than you do. Okay, and after I did all of that, they said, jabber job, do this or else. So I'm asking you to help me out because I still have mouths to feed, mine included. I still need to put a roof over their heads, my kids' heads, my family's heads, mine included. I'm imploring people out there, work together. Money is not the issue here. It's how you view that person in your mirror. That's what's important here. What are we going to do about that? This is an opportunity to have another kind of conversation, to employ another kind of language, to start using it in your social media, using it around your friends and family. Then those of you that are so politically inclined and may know someone in local politics or you are uh, subscribed to maybe your local politicians, social media pages or what have you, it's time to let them know These are the things that we're talking about. 
there are council meetings on C-SPAN. There are Zoom chats where people get to subscribe and see their their their, their local their locally elected officials converse about certain things that are going on. It's time to have this conversation. Upping the wage, lowering the amount of work hours, speaking about equity, getting back to time and a half, double time, triple time. It's time to have these conversations. Equity splits. You want me to work more? You want me to give you more of my life? What am I getting in return? Just an hourly wage? I have a family. I have hobbies. I have thoughts that I want to have. When am I going to have the next? When am I going to have an Isaac Newtonian moment? If I'm here working for you for single digit wages. Huh? What are we doing? What are we doing? Just a quarter of your day. Six hours, including commute. After that six hours, time and a half. You want me to work an extra hour after that first hour? Double time. A third hour? Triple time. We'll cap it at triple time. Then we'll have another conversation. Revisit it. I'm speaking to the union laborers out there. I'm speaking to the labor advocates out there, the amateur, arbitrator, negotiator, collective bargainer. This needs to have, this needs to be part of the new conversation. Because you have an opportunity. That opportunity is going to slip away. Because like I told you before, automation is here. Outsourcing is here. And what did I say last time? Remember what we just spoke about? About the, about the antagonistic, not only the antagonistic relationship between labor and ownership, but then labor and other laborers. Worker is pitted against worker. Because this worker is a different color. This worker is getting affirmative acting actions. This worker is coming to this country and they're lowering my wage and this, that, and the third. And now the new player in the game is the second chance worker. Okay? The worker that had a, a nonviolent felony was incarcerated, convicted, incarcerated, did their time, paid their debt to society, kept their nose clean, but could not find any work. And, and, they have one of the highest unemployment rates in the United States are people that have been convicted of a nonviolent crime or a violent crime. But we're talking about nonviolent offenders now. So guess what's happening now? Companies are saying, oh, since Jane Doe, who went to school, kept her nose clean, did everything that she was told, did everything by the book, has been a great employee and exemplary citizen, not so much as a speeding ticket. I'm not going to give her her raise i'm not going to even entertain it what i'm going to do instead is i'm going to hire a second chance worker at a fraction of what i was paying jane because they're loyal and grateful and thankful these are the words that were used in quotations buzzwords read between the lines so you can read between the lies these are the buzzwords they're using so now they're going to put the uh, uh, uh the uh the citizen who doesn't have a criminal record against the citizen who does have a criminal record because they know and employers know that citizen who you're giving a second chance to, it shouldn't even be called second chance. It should be called only chance because that particular worker is accustomed to making 22 cents a day doing the same kind of jobs behind the bars oftentimes in customer service and things of that nature. And guess what? 
they're not going to make us think over their work schedule, over their hourly wage, over over time and things of that nature because they don't have leverage in the marketplace. They just can't get up and go someplace else. This is their only chance. This is what's going on. Pay attention, people. You have a couple of years where you can be able to have certain amounts of leverage over your employer right now. Right now is a watershed moment. You can put certain things in place the same way they're in the same way they're implementing new laws and new rules. California is going to have 1000 new rules over the next year and a half. 1000 new laws, 1000 new laws and regulations. Really? Really, thousand new laws. How many of those laws and regulations do you think are going to help mitigate the cost of living in California and the cost of living? Do you think that any of those things are going to reduce the amount of people that are on Skid Row and are homeless in Southern California? I doubt it. Is it going to do anything to uh, 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 decrease the price of a, a single family home in San Francisco? Do you, do you think so? So you're not paying a million dollars per square foot out there in Silicon Valley? No, I don't think so. I'm exaggerating with that price, but you know what I'm saying. You've priced out the, the middle class person that's making about $50,000, $70,000 a year, can barely afford to be a Californian. So with all of these laws that they're enacting on you, with all of these rules that they're putting on you, what are you introducing to the place? They're going to give you new languages to speak. What are you going to do to introduce a new language into the marketplace? Hmm? That's the question. So money isn't the root, people. Look in the mirror. The mirror is the root. How you look at that person in the mirror is going to define everything. On that note, do not forget to rate, review, and subscribe to this show on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, Audible. Do not forget that you can donate to this show via dollar sign Junebo on Cash App or J-U-N-B-E-A-U, Junebo at Venmo. And definitely go check out Chavez House Publishing on Amazon. Definitely go get your vitamins from onelavi.com. Stay strong, people. We'll speak again. <laughs>